welcome back to the 40th edition of Living a Whole Christian Life. This is Dr. Jim Schrader, and it's hard to believe that we are reaching the nearer and nearer to the end of a year of the podcast around Living a Whole Christian Life. I have to tell you, it's been such an honor and just a privilege to be able to be with you in this way. You know, sometimes when I come into this cluttered closet I call a studio, I have to admit that I'm not necessarily geared up to do the podcast as it's often been a busy day and life is already frenetic. But when I sit down and, I'm, and I know I'm speaking with all of you and interacting around what's so important, and, I, and I've and i heard your feedback and, and certainly appreciate feedback going forward of any kind, it matters more than you know that you're part of this. And so as we get to our 40th podcast today, I look forward for the last segments of this year of living a whole Christian life. So we are continuing today on focus our focus on the social dimension and specifically on the role that communication plays in living a whole Christian life. We previously spent a lot of time kind of focused on areas of identifying those patterns of communication which are not only ineffective and unhealthy, but contradictory to God's law of how we should treat other people. And you may remember last week we talked about the four horsemen that John Gottman identified in his research. The first was criticism, which is really takes on a critique of the person, not a complaint about a particular situation. The second was defensiveness, where it's the sense of kind of rising up when someone brings something to you that's totally legitimate and reasonable. And in rising up and getting emotional, you often reactively blame the person for what happened in the first place. The third is stonewalling. Stonewalling, whether it's of a physical sense or psychological sense, it's just utterly shutting down a conversation and not letting an exchange occur over what's something important. And the fourth, and what he considered the worst, was contempt. And that's the idea of when you just kind of show disgust through your nonverbals, maybe you know, your eye rolling or just kind of your sarcasm, whatever, but you show disgust for the other person and his or her ideas, and in a sense, devalue that individual. But today, what we're going to focus on is we're going to focus on the communication strategies that do honor God's design no matter what personality you have. Again, I've said this before, but these strategies, this underlying paradigm, it's, it's really neat because it doesn't matter if you're the most introverted person in the world or the extroverted person in the world. It doesn't necessarily matter, particularly the style of how you engage. You know, there's all sorts of styles. But the principles that we speak of really honor all people. And I think that I'm really excited today to kind of talk about some keys about how we can honor God's design in the way that we communicate. So we're going to start off with four critical notions when it comes to communication. And one thing I want to say off the bat is that sometimes I think when people hear about this, they start to think, oh, well, this doesn't sound like very much fun, or this sounds like it's really difficult. And the idea isn't actually for either to be the case. We want people to have a sense to be able to be humorous. And we'll talk about authenticity as we go further and how that's so important. You know, we don't want you to feel like you're confined to a very specific like way of communicating in the sense that you can't let your personality show through. All the principles that we talk about here and going forward, you know that authenticity is very much not only possible, but encouraged. But when we're honoring the very specific ways that we communicate, and especially around things that are important or emotional, I think that's a really big key is that, you know, we can get away with a good fish story or whatever, and nobody's probably too upset if it's not quite accurate the way it should be. But when we're communicating around something that's emotional, something that's difficult, you know, something that has been maybe a source of conflict for some time, we really owe it to ourselves and other people to adhere to these core principles. So the first principle is this. 
And it's simply say what you mean, especially in emotional matters. By saying what you mean, don't exaggerate things that, again, may or may not be true at a certain level. Don't make something way worse than what it really is, or even way better than it really is. But at the same time, don't minimize things that are really important. And I I wrote an article years ago, you can find this on my website, which was, the title of it was, The Number One Lie That Men Tell. And the number one lie I think that all men have been socialized, I certainly have been at times throughout my life, is to say something like, oh, it's not a big deal, or it's no skin off my back. When in reality, actually many of these things are a big deal, and they really do bother us men. And they really have affected us, not just, you know, now, but even over the course of years, even decades. But when we minimize something like that, like, oh, it's not a big deal, and then we go forward without communicating about it, what we've learned, again, from the science behind it is that those kinds of things fester in us and often will create maybe physical symptoms, you know, that really just kind of become more and more chronic, or they create bitterness that distances people from each other, even when they're not even sure why that's the case. So in the way that we don't want to minimize, we also, again, don't want to exaggerate things. As I said in the beginning here, think about this. You know, if you're upset about something and you frame it as like the worst thing ever or that's the worst thing you've ever done or whatever you want to say, remember when you say it's the worst thing ever, that takes into account everything that's happened. And that language not only sends a message to the other person like, well, geez, if that's the worst thing ever, then what would happen if I did A, B, and C, which seems way worse? Again, it frames a real difficult way of discussing this. But as we know, language not only informs the person we're speaking to, but it also informs the speaker. And what we've learned over time is that the words you use do matter to yourself and the people around you. So especially in emotional matters, again, really strive to not exaggerate, you know, the intensity or the degree by which you say things. At the same time, strive not to minimize that, which is really important. The second key is, Always strive, whenever possible, to use what we call I versus you statements. Again, you may have heard this before, but I statements are the idea of saying something like, I feel, or I, you know, have, whatever, I feel blank, I feel frustrated, because, and then whatever the reason it may be, versus a you statement is often something like, well, you made me blank, or you are just a blank, right? It's either being really derogatory about the person or blaming them for your emotional experience. And the key here is, again, some of you may be thinking, well, does that really matter? It actually matters a ton. Because the first thing you'll know is that if you start with a you statement in a conversation, you can pretty much guess that that conversation is either going to A, end abruptly, or B, it's going to go in the wrong direction automatically. I mean, if you want one clear way to not facilitate a conversation, keep using you statements over and over again. And again, we're all going to make mistakes sometimes, but the more we do that, the less you're going to be able to interact around things that are really important. But if you use I statements, again, owning that emotional experience, even if other people have done horrible things to you, or even not horrible things, maybe just kind of things that are annoying, the moment you own the emotion behind it, because it is in fact your emotion, and not everybody has the same emotional reaction to the same experience, the moment you own it, and then you give a description of how it seemed to come about within you, is the moment that even if the other person doesn't like what you're saying, it gives an opportunity for them to reflect on the fact that you're owning this, but you're also saying this has been maybe really difficult. 
And the conversation has such much greater likelihood of going further if each person owns what they should own, you know, accepts what they should accept, but then doesn't accept the things that aren't going well, but does so in the spirit of a conversational approach. The third principle is, and we're all failures on this one sometimes, acknowledge your mistakes, own them when they come. Boy, talk about something myself that's always been so difficult. And my son said it best, you know, years ago when he said, I know inside of me that I made a mistake. I just don't really like hearing myself say that. And I think when he said that, he was echoing what billions of people probably would want to say if they're being honest. But if we're really going to, again, be good about communication, acknowledge our mistakes as much as we just feel like, oh, begrudgingly to do this. But also when things go well, acknowledge your excitement too. You know, the first thing I think that we've heard a lot probably over the years of, you know, different kind of uh, even homilies or different times people talk about just being honest when you make a mistake. But I think the second part gets left out, which is the part that says when you're excited about something, think be open and sharing that. And I know what's hard about this sometimes is depending on what kind of family constellation you're around, depending on how your friends are, depending on, you know, just culturally speaking, sometimes it can be hard to share things that you're excited about because it almost feels immodest to do that. Um, but the reality is that as long as you're giving credit or credit is due, right? God, I feel so blessed that whatever happened to me, right? Or, or I'm so blessed that others supported me in this way. We should all be able to share the things that we're excited about, because if we don't feel okay in doing that, consider this, that if we only feel like we should acknowledge our mistakes, and that doesn't feel like a whole lot of fun to most of us, right? But we don't feel like that we can also celebrate the things that go well, then over time, our communication seems rather one-sided, and we don't feel as if we can share the broad spectrum of life experience, only that we can share certain aspects of it. And number four, when frustrated with another person, first focus on aspects of the situation, not the characteristics of the person. I mentioned this last week, but it's such a key that, you know, if you think a person's a slob, I mean, that's your you know right to kind of feel that way. But when you start off a conversation, if you start off with, again, you are a, there's that you statement, slob, congratulations, you're probably not going to go anywhere with that conversation, Right. But if we start the conversation with off saying, hey, I I thought we had agreed that, you know, you would clean up the kitchen if I put the kids to bed, then, and you're saying, I'm a little bit frustrated that this hasn't happened, before you would ever kind of go into patterns, and again, this is going to happen sometimes in conversations, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but before you ever go into the patterns that you think of another individual, starting with the situation is so much easier to accept for all of us than feeling like that we're critiqued as a person. And again, maybe it's back to our prideful selves or whatever, but the key here is that begin with the moment, the present moment where you're at before you work outward instead of the opposite way, which is to work inward from all the global attributions you make to the situation itself. So these really are the four keys, right? Say what you mean, especially in emotional matters. Use I versus you statements. Acknowledge mistakes, but also acknowledge when you're excited as well. And when frustrated with another person, first focus on the situation, not the characteristics of that individual. So as often, again, talk about, these are simple in concept, but difficult in execution. But the great thing about it is that we really strive to utilize these, even imperfectly. They're truly life-changing, and they're truly divinely oriented. But people might ask the question, well, 
but why? Like, why are they? Or why, why would it matter so much? Well, here's the deal. They are the manifestation. These four simple principles are the manifestation of the goo principles that we have talked about that make for the healthiest relationships possible. Those goo characteristics, again, are genuineness, unconditional positive regard, and empathy. And then when doing this, what we find is that three things happen that are so key to having godly interactions in our lives. Number one, these principles seek to understand and illuminate what is real first before what's just self-serving. I mean, how many times have you and I both kind of realized that what we're saying isn't quite true or maybe not true at all, but it really supports the point we want to make or the feeling we want other people to understand? But these principles say, you know what? No, what I need to start with is what truly I think is real first, right? Even though we don't know for sure that that's the case, but we're striving towards reality. We're striving towards truth first in our communication before I become self-serving. If we do it the other way around or we, you know, that, that idea of truth and seeking out reality is kind of relegated second or third or nowhere, then it's not going to work well. Second, these principles seek to honor the good in each other first, not degrading or undermining them. And again, how many times in our interactions are we seek to kind of critique other people first instead of first acknowledging that, hey, there is a lot of goodness in you. There are good things that you're doing and trying. And that's the key here. And three, they facilitate an authentic voice that others come to trust because of the first two things, because people come to know that you're seeking out what is real first, not what's self-serving. And they also know that you're seeking to honor the good in other people, not trying to undermine them. And when those two things come together, people really trust you. They trust you and I because they understand the principles by which our communication operates. So when your communication honors these principles in our lives and our communities in our homes, we start to see this grow. It also dramatically decreases the unnecessary drama that exists today, which of course is desperately needed in this all about me, kind of all about controversy world. And in fact, again, I mentioned an earlier article, but there's an article you can find on my website. The title is, What the World Needs Now is Less Drama. And I don't think there's any of you out there listening who wouldn't agree that we live in an overly dramatic world. Life itself is already going to be drama to some extent, but we have over-dramatized upon over-dramatized our world to the point that we're drowning in it. And the principles that we're talking about here seek to reduce drama to only the level by which it needs to occur, not by which we are sensationalizing things. The ultimate goal in the end of this, by we go through all these strategies, the idea is not to encourage a greater amount or intensity or duration of interactions. I think sometimes people think, oh, you're a psychologist. You just think we should be talking all the time. And actually, I, know I, I don't. I think many times we probably shouldn't be talking at all. And I don't think that God's design says that we should be talking all the time too. But the ultimate goal is to encourage greater authentic, empathetic communication that values others, and this is key, as God's children in this world. Authentic, empathetic communication that values others first as God's children in this world. And not surprisingly, this type of communication that we're talking about is very much the type that Jesus used throughout his ministry. So often we focus on the content of his words 
And as we should, right? There's so much there that we still don't understand fully. But we also should focus just as much on the style and approach of his whole communication strategy, which we often don't do. And I think it could be argued that Jesus is the most empathetic, the most authentic communicator that we have ever known. If you notice throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, you'll find not only did he not minimize what was real, including even his own feelings, his own feelings of despair, right? His own feelings of sadness. He also did not exaggerate that what was not real or shouldn't be exaggerated in the first place. In essence, Jesus sought out to combine the idea of taking reality and empathy into one whole piece of communication. And as he stated in the end, in John chapter 12, verse 49, quote, For I did not speak of my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. So we are called to. This is Jim Schrader. Be holy, be holy.